Hey guys, my guest tonight, Glenn Steckling, is going to be talking about UFO disclosure and the misinformation that the public has been hearing. We'll be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, good evening, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Almost there. Weekend's coming. You can see it. You can see it. Your binoculars out. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you think you have a paranormal issue going on, we can help you. But it might take us a while to get to you because California is a huge state. People don't realize really how wide open we are. You know, we not only have the beaches, but we've got desert, high desert. We've got a lot of farmland, a lot of mountains. So, uh, like I said, it might take us a couple of days. In the case that it takes a couple of days, we do have mediums on staff who can phone you. And if what is going on is paranormal in your neck of the woods, they are able to uh, calm it down in most cases so that it gives us time to get out there and, and, and take a look and see what's, what's actually the cause and root to everything. But uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us on Facebook. Uh, we are Both our websites are under maintenance. The radio site and the regular uh, paranormal site are all under maintenance right now, and uh, we're going to have some great updates on there. Speaking of updates, uh, starting next week sometime, I hope and I'm praying, I just got the download for YouTube Live Studio, and I see there's a way to uh, incorporate YouTube into StreamYard now, which is the which is what I use. So uh, hopefully I qualify for that. I don't know. They're showing some pretty high numbers for, pe- for people to have to have to qualify for that part of it. But if I do qualify for that, we will not only be beaming out to Twitch and Facebook and YouTube, we will also be, t- we'll be beaming, I call it beaming out, it makes me feel like, like I'm live satellite somewhere, um, we'll also be beaming out to live on TikTok doing these shows as well, so I'm excited about that, so cross your fingers for me, and let's hope I can do that starting next week sometime. Okay, if you like, if, if you like what you see, and a lot of you, and a lot of you, might okay if you're watching from facebook and you haven't done so already please hit that follow button we're always looking for followers also a thumbs up happy face heart just to just to show 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 some love really really helps us out and chatting in the chat room because what that does is facebook's got this massive computer and the computer sees all that and they take it as as that's becoming a little more popular so what they do is they take that and they put us more out in, into the internet world you know, that kicks us out to more people. Just like YouTube works the same way. If you haven't done so already, we, uh, we're looking for, we're always looking for subscribers. I've got almost a thousand videos over there, all of this show, all kinds of topics, not only paranormal, but because I'm a newspaper reporter, I like to do, you know, I'm not going to say regular stories, but, but hard news stories as well. And you'll see some of those on there as well. And I put some of those in a category so it's easier to find. So if you're into cryptids, or UFOs, there's a category for each of those and you can go to that particular guest. 
Just click on the category. Same thing. Please subscribe. Uh, please comment in the chat room. Please leave me a thumbs up, a heart, you know, things like that. If, if, if you like and see what you hear. All right. We've been around for a while. Uh, the show's been on the air for 18, almost 18 years. We started out on Blog Talk Radio and then uh, came over to this, this format. So you can find this over on Block Talk Radio too. All right. You can also find this on all the uh, internet stations like Apple and and you know iHeart and all that good stuff as well. Okay. That being said, my guest tonight, I'm really excited about him. Has interesting stories to tell us. I mean, he he you know he he. It's just hard to explain about this man to the point that. Um, when I saw him a, a couple of days ago on a particular show, I just was flabber, flabbergasted by, by what he had. And a lot of what he said made sense. A lot of what he said kind of jived with my thinking. And, and as far as UFOs and aliens and, and what we're being told as opposed to what the actual reality is, just like when you talk about sci-fi movies, you know, this has been ingrained into us, little green men and all this stuff and from Hollywood and putting this stuff together. I mean... There's my example right back there, little Grogu. But at least everybody knows that something like Star Wars is a fantasy, right? But something like Star Trek, you know, that's more that's more of what could be out there and, and things like that. And, and and those things have come into our lives and shaped our lives. And so he's gonna we're gonna be talking about that tonight. You know how Hollywood has influenced our thoughts of what aliens actually of what of what's actually going on, and the different alien species. You know, we talk all the time about the different alien species that are out there. And it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's what you guys think it is. Anyway, before I make it, before I just do the whole interview myself, I'm going to bring him on and uh, let's get the show on the road. Hello, Gloria, how are you doing? Hello, Charlotte. Thank you for the uh, invitation to join you this evening. I'm really excited to have you on. Well, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so tell me about you, sir. Well, um, <clears throat> First of all, I need to ask you, did you receive the book I sent you? I did, and I enjoyed okay. it. Okay, very good. I just wanted Thank to make sure that much. got served. Um, well, my family, uh, my father, mother, myself, we have been involved in this field for, my God, over half a century. Uh, we got involved uh, after seeing a number of these UFOs around the U.S. and also seeing one over uh, downtown Washington, D.C., along with many other witnesses and newspaper reporters. And um, and so uh, it was reported in the paper, and my father further inve investigated and came across in the Library of Congress the very famous books by George Adamski, Flying Saucers Have Landed, mm -hmm. and inside the spaceships, in which had they, they had uh, telescopic photos of the exact same type crafts we had seen. Well, that's really interesting. You know, uh, for people that don't know who Adams George Adamski is, can, can you explain that? Well, he was one of the original of the uh, category of what has been labeled as contactees, a mm -hmm. person who had not only photographed these ships, but had uh, interpersonal interactions with the occupants and the pilots of the craft, and eventually was fortunate enough to be taken on a ride into space and around the moon. And so George uh, was very well known uh, through the 50s and early 60s. He went on a world tour. In 1959, he had sponsors like Lord Mountbatten and Lord Dowden and Des mm -hmm. Sir Desmond Leslie in England. He went to see the Queen Juliana of the Netherlands and uh, the Pope 23rd uh, later in the 1963. 
And so he, in his films, he had the most unique motion picture films taken in many different locations and areas of these crafts in action and maneuvering. And so that's what makes him so unique in this UFO field. Because when my father was invited to uh, the Pentagon in 1966 to Colonel Freeman and his staff, uh, he showed them the films he wanted to see them. And he said, uh -huh. they're some of the best he's ever seen in civilian hands. Uh -huh. So we were very fortunate to meet and work with George, become his personal friends, the confidant, and eventually the inheritors of all of uh, his materials and copyrights and run the foundation since that time. You know, it's funny that you say Lord Mountbatten, Button, because Prince, uh, what is it? Prince, Prince Philip was a huge believer. Absolutely. And, and UFOs. And not only that, his son Charles as well. In fact, it was um, uh, Lord Mountbatten, who was his uncle of Prince Philip. He was the last viceroy of India, and he had one of these uh, crafts uh, on his estate, and his gardeners oh. saw them. Uh, both fly over and one of these bell-shaped saucers land. Uh -huh. And uh, Lord Dowden, who was the uh, chief air minister during World War II, he also came out openly in the public and on the papers and said that he, he knew they were to be real. Uh -huh. And um, and so uh, these people were not fools. They were very well, obviously well-connected. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And uh, when my father uh, lectured by invitation, in 1983, uh, before the British House of Lords, the select committee by Lord Clancarty, uh, Lord Clancarty delivered a, my father's book to Prince Philip. And, uh, and as you saw in the book that I sent you, there is the acknowledgement from both Prince uh, Philip and Prince Charles of receiving mm -hmm. the book. And so, yes, they were extraordinarily interested and had, uh, in many cases, uh, um, personal observations and experiences as, as, as well, which backed it up. Now, when we talk about world leaders like that, are there more world leaders who are, who are really into this and, 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 you know, and you think they've seen stuff? Well, I, you know, as far as, um, as far as presidents are concerned, I know Adamski uh, took uh, Eisenhower in 54 out in the California desert to one of the uh, air bases. Mm -hmm. And one of these ships was, uh, came down, landed on the tarmac and there was interaction he did the same thing with Kennedy in 62, who mm -hmm. he had met in 1960 while on the campaign trail. Uh, and he received a White House access card for that, which allowed him in and out of the White House through the underground entrances anytime he wished in order to brief the president uh, on necessary issues. And so there were some leaders that were more involved than others. Yu Thant, mm -hmm. who was the Secretary General of the United Nations, offered Adamski a seat on the UN in January of 1965, and he declined it. He said, if I take an official position, then I will be eventually told what I can and cannot say. And mm -hmm. he was adamant against corrupting the truth. George refused to do that or to personally uh, a profit or market this, uh, this particular uh, information. He thought it was uh, available for everybody across the planet. Mm -hmm. And so um, the next is uh, my father communicated with um, Prime Minister Gary in the Grenada. And uh, because of that, the stamps, which are also in the book, uh, were issued. And Prime Minister Gary was also in the United Nations and um, was a vocal advocate of it amongst uh, so many other people. But, you know, to the most part, uh, these governments, whether it happens to be Western governments or and sometimes uh, uh, the Eastern governments as well. 
you know, keep material to themselves. I had the opportunity with my father in 1989 to talk to a group of Soviet, former Soviet scientists, because the wall had just come down, and they uh, openly stated that some of their uh, decommissioned air bases in central Russia were opened up as open landing sites for these craft to come down and land, and uh, they knew them to be human beings just like you and I, that could communicate just like you and I. There was, uh, there was none of this creature feature, Halloween story kind of uh, nonsense. That was a question I wanted to talk to you about as well. You know, people you know have said that they that they've seen reptilians, things that look like you know giant giant pretty masses. Well, let's look at this from the rational and and natural standpoint. Mm-hmm. If you look at this from uh, the chemical biologist view, like for instance, the director of the Maryland. Uh, a chemical biology laboratories, very well-known man who's now uh, passed away, Cyril Panampura. He wrote the books of the origins of his life and uh, many things about the solar system and what have you. And he openly stated that the organic materials, the RNA and DNA, the molecules, all this material is surrounding us in space. And it rains down on our planet about two tons a day, and as well as all the other planets as well. And it's spread across the cosmos, no matter where you go. Uh So consequently, you have the same building blocks of life, uh, regardless of where you go. And if you think about it, you don't see the the lizard or the crocodile after millions of years, even on this planet, crawl out of the swamp and start building microcomputers. You don't start seeing the, uh, the, the insects starting to build spaceships. Uh, So this goes in contrary to all the natural biological laws and principles which govern creation. And so we have to step back from our imaginations Mm -hmm. and and, uh, don't let science fiction and our wild imaginations drive our so-called perceptions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this concept, I've heard other people say, well, you know, we have categorized 150 different species. No, there are no... They are not species visiting us. They are races, mm-hmm. and the and races of of inter, into, uh, intelligent intellectual beings have come to us to visit us. And this has been documented in all civilizations on this planet mm-hmm. for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about our imaginations with this stuff, why has Hollywood decided to blow, you know, to take this and run with it like it has? Well, everything on this planet is driven by one God, and that is profit, mm-hmm. a monetary profit. And so, uh, you know, there, there was one exceptional film that was released in 1951 called The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original yes. one with Michael Rennie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, is by far the best of any of the sci-fi films because it actually depicts in reality several events that have occurred very, very similar to it, Mm -hmm. and that it shows the capabilities of the visitors who come from other worlds. It shows our mentality as the public and as the military and politicians, our worldly view and inhibitions. Mm -hmm. And uh, But since that time, uh, there has been a focus of making everything that comes from space threatening, horrifying, 
uh, and aggressive and what have you. And that is an order to discourage the type of landings and interactions that have occurred. Because in the 50s, through George Adamski and other people, this information was given to our governments and to our military. George gave it freely to, to everybody, the scientists and the Naval Center and everything else. And because he said that these are the people that run our government and to a certain amount dictate the well-being of our lives. And they have to have correct information in order to substantiate their decisions and mm -hmm. decision making and not some fairy tale nonsense. And so what happened is, is these craft landed. And then when they couldn't, when the, when the people who came from them couldn't get any satisfaction from the interactions with our politicians, mm -hmm. then they landed amongst the people. And there, there are hundreds of records all over the uh, planet of this interaction. And our mm -hmm. governments and our intelligence communities became very scared that they could not control these crafts from landing and these people from interacting with us directly. And so this was a direct challenge to our official stance of denying and denying and coming up with ridiculous stories like swamp gas and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in temperature inversions mm -hmm. and, um, you know, all kinds of sorry excuses that is designed to placate the general public because they have very little uh, knowledge into these particular uh, expertises like meteorology mm -hmm. and other things like that. And mm -hmm. so, so there was a concentrated effort because we officially decided to, to deny and intimidate these witnesses. We sent out agents, the so-called men in black, in order to intimidate and threaten uh, people who had seen these craft land or had had interactions with their occupants. And so in order to completely suppress it. And so when they couldn't effectively suppress it, then they switched to the second tactic, which is psychology 101. And that is to scare the devil out of the people. Uh -huh. And Hollywood became a very convenient method upon which to broadcast this particular type of message. Uh -huh. And as we said before in the previous program that you listened to, uh, if you look at the books, uh, 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 what are they called? Uh, Hollywood versus the Flying Saucers and Silver uh -huh. Screen Saucer, as I mentioned. They, um, they discussed that the military... Um, Clarence office was directly across the street from Hollywood Studios and no science fiction script or idea was ever put into production uh, after I think 1953 without their specific approval mm -hmm. and so so and all too many um, uh, people are willing to exploit everything they get their hands on either for notoriety for money for acclaim or what have you and um and sorrily, all these uh, you uh, these sci-fi uh, productions, uh -huh. whether it's Alien, Armageddon, uh, V, uh, Resident Alien, all this stuff always depicts the monster feature because they have that ingrained not only in right. you and I, but they have, and more importantly, totally saturated the younger generation with this concept. Okay, going you know, sticking with that move now, you know, as far as like government disclosure, do you think there's ever going to be any government disclosure? No, and okay. I've said so. I've said so numerous times over the decades. The first time I was asked that question was in '92. I was giving a lecture in Los Angeles, and uh, a person came up and said, "Well, uh, they had information that they were going to be within six months full disclosure," 
And mm -hmm. I said, good luck with that one. That's never going to happen, simply because there are several reasons. First, officially, we have invested too much into denying and trying to sidetrack this subject. The names are often the same or very close to them because uh, the people that work for these well-known names have picked up the ball after that and carried it. And so these people are in the very uh, real sense uh, working to help to corrupt this, uh, this idea and this process. And once again, they're not going to spend all this time and money in people's reputations in order to now suddenly, can you imagine, they suddenly come out and say, hey, by the way, for 75 years, we've been uh, pulling your leg and uh, right. we're sorry we do that, but uh, now we're going to give you information. The first ones that are going to be absolutely outraged by this is going to be the UFO community because so much of the UFO community has allowed themselves to drift into the same dogma and agendas by supporting it so that they could be inclusive in it. And they're going to say to you, oh, you can't trust them now. They're not telling you the truth, just like they haven't told you before. And, uh, and it, for some, the process of keeping this subject confused, mysterious, and threatening is a full-time endeavor. And so they're not going to ever... Uh, do that. We may eventually admit that there is life beyond this world, which is, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it's so apparent that it's not even funny, but uh, we will only admit it if we can make it threatening, because uh -huh. that way we can combine our economies, which are now dependent upon defense appropriations and the building and usage of weapons and the instigation of wars around the planet. And so is if we can combine our economies to manifest that same process, except for to an outer threat, then we can maintain our economic structure the way we have built it. And we want that above all else. Well, I agree with you. And, and to keep us fearful of what you know, might be coming down at us, that was something they did too with Homeland Security right after the, uh, the attacks in, in New York. Because they had those different levels of, of okay, today's a level five for, for terror. You know, those, those different terror alert things. And that's what they were trying to do with that, too. Well, you know, uh, this is not a friendly planet. Mm -hmm. uh, we are, uh, unfortunately, uh, we like to envision ourselves as the good guys in the world. But unfortunately, our actions have uh, not proved to be very good. I mean, we have manipulated wars in Southeast Asia, made money off the drug cartels, and uh, we have assassinated leaders that have been democratically elected in other countries that we didn't agree with or we didn't think was going, were going to promote our particular economic agendas. Mm -hmm. And so, so a lot of the world looks at us kind of with suspicious eyes, and I think they have a certain amount of right at that because... Um, uh, what we do and what we say are often two completely different things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I want to talk to you about the spacecraft that people claim they see. I live, well, I used to live, because they don't do it anymore, it was one of these bases that was shut down. But yeah, I used to live uh, near a repair facility for the U.S. Air Force. Mm -hmm. And so I would see these planes come in at night, like the stealth fighter, the triangle shape. Yes. And we... a lot of the stuff I'm seeing on TV, like when I, I'm not going to say what show. But you know what people are describing to me are, the, are these self fighters. We have a we have a maraud of not only developed, 
but experimental devices that we are constantly experimenting with. I give you an example. Uh, what you see today has developed at least 15 years ago. We are about a 15 to 20 year lag behind the technology as it has been developed between that and the time that we get exposure to it or get uh, the ability to obtain it. Mm -hmm. And so, so many of these devices, we have two different levels of development. We have the regular aerodynamic side, like for instance, with Skunk Works out in Palmdale and the military type of, which is the SR-71, mm -hmm. uh, the U-2, uh, the B-1 and B-2, now the B, what is it, 23, which is, you know, these are large triangular devices right. that are easily misidentified. From the information and the contacts I have, anything that is triangular, cube, squared, has appendages hanging out of it or appendages on the surface of the craft, these are all military and uh, intelligence community developed experiments. Mm -hmm. So because the craft themselves have to be saucer and lenticular and cigar shaped in order to uh, use the electromagnetic free energy mm -hmm. that is uh, produced by our planet and throughout all of space and to travel at the speeds of the speed of light or twice the speed of light they're capable of or perhaps even faster than that mm -hmm. and so uh, you cannot have these funny shaped craft because they are not conducive to these type of uh, speeds and this type of energy it just it doesn't work and so we have that one side that i mentioned that is producing things like the aurora and many different other types right. of crafts that are was initially atomic uh, in production, and now it has gone from there. Then we have a completely separate area, and mm -hmm. that separate area has worked on uh, technology that has been recovered for some of these spacecraft that have uh, had the uh, uh, you know the malfunctions and problems and landing, and uh, and have crashed and what have you. And uh, if you look at uh, Colonel Caruso's book, The Day After Roswell, he describes mm -hmm. the many different technologies like night vision and other things that were developed from those uh, downstream uh, back-engineered technologies. And so we have craft that we have developed that work within that system of electromagnetics, and then we have an entirely different system that is totally separate of that that has to do with uh, regular technology as we advance it. Well, I can tell you from experience and seeing these those those things come in at night, that if 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 you're not aware of what they actually look like, it can be spooky, because yeah. all you're seeing are, are just the, the wingtip lights. If you're seeing that at all, you know, because you just can't see them. And that's yeah. like like I said when I watched you know some of these TV shows and they're describing these craft that they're seeing. That's my first thought. I'm like, well, it's a stealth fighter or some kind of stealth technology. Well, we've also worked on some holographic projection, too, where you have a much smaller centralized craft that serves as a uh, platform to project holographic images so that they can project a craft around them that mm -hmm. is not real but looks mm -hmm. visually to the eye so that it looks much larger than you would expect. And so uh, these triangular sh large ships that were seen over Belgium and Europe and, of course, uh, over Phoenix and things like this, these are all manifestations of our own research and development. And we are very sophisticated. There is no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, un unfortunately, we like to uh, experiment not only with 
with people's perceptions. We like to experiment with animals when it comes to lasers and masers and the different type of biological weapons that we develop. And so uh, in my research and, and my exposure over the last 50 years, I can only say that uh, when it comes to horrific things, uh, we are the masters of it, not somebody else. Definitely. Um, where do you think well, the, you, 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 you had a lid on where we were getting this technology from? I mean, how, how are we on? Were we getting this kind of technology from, say, the alien, you know, from, from, from aliens? Well, uh, I'll give an example here. When Adamski took Eisenhower in the desert in 54, there was a conversation. That entire, that entire process has been uh, manipulated by some unscrupulous people in the UFO field. Uh -huh. to say that uh, Eisenhower confronted the aliens and the aliens said, well, we will give you this and this and this, but right. you must give us human body parts and RNA and DNA. How ridiculous is that? And you're right. 4,000 years ahead of us in technology and abilities and can travel the distances of space uh -huh. and have technologies that so far surpassed us that they have to come and collect our body parts. That's only something our imaginations can come up. When in reality, what happened was, is they offered to share technology with us to a certain extent because they know our first inclination is to use us as weapons. But the, the uh, auspices of the agreement would be that we had to give up our nuclear testing. And, uh, and the president at that time flatly refused to do that. Mm -hmm. And so he literally put the planet in jeopardy of annihilation and, and total destruction. And so I think uh, that we can say that... Um, uh, all, you know, people talk about Roswell, but there's the Cape Girardeau incident in right. 1941 that already uh, had the recovery of uh, uh, some craft and some parts of it, and what have you. Uh -huh. And uh, and so I would say that um, that we actively, you know, recovered things from that incident, from the Roswell incident. Uh, there are some several inc other incidences in New Mexico. Uh, in the uh, uh, Cortez and Aztec areas. Uh, but more importantly, there were some incidences in White Sands, New Mexico, upon which these um, um, craft would fly in regular formation to observe what our nuclear testing programs were looking like and the consequences of it. And one of them soft landed uh, in, the, in the desert and was gone out there. And they poked through one of the portholes that had been broken. And so they hit the the uh, instrument panel with this long rod until the door opened that, that they could never see before. They ended up taking that uh, craft apart in three pieces and shipping it to Wright Pat. And, um, and so I would say that, um, that actively since uh, the 19, uh, 1950, uh, we have been recovering and have been uh, investigating this type of uh, foreign technology and incorporating it uh, into uh, different uh, areas. Now, for people who claim to have been abducted, are they really leaving the Earth? Or Because I know when, when people come back, you know, I've interviewed a few who have said that their psychic abilities seem to be really up high. You know, where, where the, it's like they've been turned on, you know, those abilities. So are these people really being taken aboard ship, you think? Or are they being just... Like I could be sitting at my laptop right now and then thinking it in my brain. Well, I think, first of all, we are attributing so many uh, negative 
attributes and falsehoods upon our extraterrestrial visitors. Mm -hmm. uh, when we don't feel good, it's their fault. If we perceive something that's not what we consider to be our normal thinking, it's their fault. Mm -hmm. we, have, we put them to the blame of everything. Mm -hmm. And as I described in my book, uh, right. the new one, uh, the, um, there are a multitude of other possible possibilities for these type of perceptions. Now, when you perceive something, whether it's under hypnosis or whether it's under uh, a bombardment of, of a certain frequency or thought waves or what have you, then you may think it's real to your perception, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it actually happened. And when we look at the sheer statistics, there are what over 40 to 50 million people in the United States alone that suffer from mental challenges, whether uh -huh. it's schizophrenia, bipolar, and what all these other uh, things. Then you have people who are saturated with big farm and chemicals. Then you have a, a large portion of the population that uh, suffer from sleep deprivation illnesses, uh -huh. which, the, which the characteristics are much like what these people say. They feel like they're hovering above their bed and they can't move their arms and legs and there's tingling sensation. These are exactly what sleep deprivation sense, uh, symptoms are. And uh, then, of course, you've got a large drug culture. So in the United States, where there's 330 million people, you can say well over 200 million people are suffering from disorders. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to see or encounter, in other words, th these space people have the technology to sit up in orbit and through their mecha um, mechanical means, scan us, read our thoughts, read uh, our bodily functions down to the molecular and atomic levels. Mm -hmm. They have no necessity to come down here and do terrible things to you. That mm -hmm. is just that is just sci-fi manipulation. They have, you know, if you got one cow, why do you need to take 50,000 cows? Mm -hmm. And uh, as I mentioned in the book, uh, they found out in the uh, 70s, and there was a large lawsuit after that. They tried desperately to keep it quiet, the Atomic Energy Commission, that there were huge areas of Utah where livestock were dead and corrupted and eaten from mm -hmm. the inside from intense radiation due to our atomic tests, both underground and, and above the air that saturated the water tables and and and, uh, and completely, um, you know, irradiated radiated the ground and the, and the grass and everything else. And so, once again, there are a numerable amount of plausible explanations to give people or should give people a cause to think, where would this idea come from? And I talked to a hypnosis mm -hmm. and, uh, and they said that it's very easily able to suggest to somebody, if I put you under and I ask you what you did on Tuesday, mm -hmm. and then the next question is, is what, what did you do after you got abducted on Tuesday? I have thereby implanted that theme of abduction into your brain, and, and thereby I get a, a continually different type of response. And mm -hmm. when they asked, uh, when Susan Clancy, who is uh, for Harvard, who did the research on this and has quoted the book as well, that... Um, when she asked uh, one of these uh, well-known uh, 
abduction supporters, I can't remember, I think it was Professor Mack, mm -hmm. he said, well, that's true, I could suggest something into somebody's brain, but I'm very careful not to do that. Well, there might be other people and other agencies who are not so uh, uh, fastidious in their desires to, to uh, you know, not control the situation. So I personally have a great deal of skepticism when it comes to the abduction phenomena because it seems to coincide exactly with the intelligence and the government's uh, program in 1961 of taking this entire subject divergent and mm -hmm. taking it into that particular area so that nobody knows up from down and right from left mm -hmm. and uh, the accusations fly like something crazy. So do you think the government is in more, in more control of this UFO thing that, that then they let on? Is the right like you say as far as the abductions and the information that's being pounded into us? I think that we participate in some of that. We send our own people out in order to scare the living daylights out of us. It's sort of a uh, two birds with one stone. They get, mm -hmm. to, uh, they get to experiment in the craft that they're building and the technology they're using. And if they can get a little side freak show on top of it in order to scare people, they're more than happy to do that. Now, remember that, that these craft that come from uh, outer space mm -hmm. and these other intelligence uh, have robots and androids on board. And these robots are about four feet high. And some of them, may, uh, may they look gray and, and metallic in, uh, in observation, whether they had two eyes or a central lens in the forehead. And things like that. They don't need a nose. They don't dra uh, uh, breathe anything because they're robots. And I think to some extent people are, have encountered robots, both our own robots and their robots. And, um, and so I think we are actively involved in any, uh, <laughs> any little variant that we can get and make uh, uh, use to our advantage. Now you talked uh, earlier about the, the the different craft and uh, especially our craft and the, and the, and the well my mouth doesn't want to work right and the capacity for us to use holograms. Now I, so someone I interviewed a, a little over a year ago talked about that how he felt that the spaceships you know these, these aliens are coming in and landing and flying around all the time and they'll use holographs to hide their ship. They, you know they might make it look like a helicopter. Do you think there's stuff like that going on? Uh, from what I understand, they have no reason to. I okay. know that the uh, that the intel uh, Israeli intelligence officer and space officer mm -hmm. who went uh, public uh, a year or two ago, uh, he made a statement that uh, the, the extraterrestrials are hiding from us because they don't want to alarm us, mm -hmm. and and there couldn't be a statement further from the truth. So mm -hmm. after he made that statement, I had to be very skeptical about everything and anything he said, because if you look at the history of these craft, mm -hmm. they have flown in formation over the nation's capital in 1952, over Washington, over London in 54, over Paris in 54, in mm -hmm. November of 54, for seven days over Rome and the Vatican and various formations photographed and witnessed. I mean, and I, I included this in the book. I've got right. the pictures there from Japan and from Russia and South Africa right. and all these other places. So if they're trying to hide themselves, they're doing a lousy job at it. And so I think it's exactly the opposite. They're trying right. to show us in, in integrated segments uh, uh, their, 
their exposure and their presence without just totally dumping on us all at one time. How far back does contact with these beings go? Thousands of years. As far as I know, there has has been no ancient society. If you look at the uh, uh, lineage of Tibetan kings, they stated Uh that the first seven kings were able to travel back and forth uh, into space. Um, When you look at uh, the Polynesian cultures, oh my God, the South American ones, Quetzalcoatl with the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the the uh, uh, the Indian uh, Native American Indian and also the Indus Valley in India. I mean, there is not one ancient script that doesn't mention angelic beings coming down and interacting mm-hmm. with with the with the people, looking like the people. And the only difference is we have depicted them uh, in medieval paintings with having wings, because in the ancient times. Uh, that was the only way that they could describe a person being able to fly or the vehicle they flew in, like Ezekiel, Mm -hmm. the wheel within the wheel or the flying scroll. And uh, the Bible alone has probably several hundred references to these type of crafts, a flying shield. And that is also in the uh, historical chronicle in chapter one of uh, part two of the same book I mentioned. And so I think that it shows that they have been coming amongst us for all of our history, as far as I'm aware of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they could have easily taken us over at any time, uh, you know, while we were throwing rocks and stones and firing bow and arrow at each other. Uh, you know, so the idea that they would be aggressive is not substantiated by any of their actions ever. Now, going along that line of questioning, why do you think that they, they wouldn't take us over? Because they've got a heck of a lot better technology than we have. Well, I would like you to go when you get a chance, and all of your listeners as well, and I want you to dial up uh, on the Internet the Hubble Space Telescope, and I want you to look at the photographs of of space. And when you look at that, and in fact the Webb Telescope has looked even past the distance of Hubble, and that is only 2% of the cosmos, and it is totally saturated in that two-inch square of galaxies and planets and universes and and these people are traveling between these distances, why in the world would, would they want anything extraordinary from us? We are just like what else exists in the cosmos, but more importantly, there's a heck of a lot more out there than we possibly have here. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's totally illogical for that. We are not that unique. Mm-hmm. Okay. My other question is, too, when I was younger and, you know, was looking into these abductions and sightings and all this, it seemed like there were an awful lot in South America, like out in Brazil and stuff. Why, why is that? You know, do they tend to concentrate more in, in certain areas than others? Well, I, I would say sightings have, have, have rotated around the planet based upon receptivity. Okay. Since the ni- late 1960s, the United States has not been the uh, uh, purveyor of and supporter of this type of information. They have been working very hard to try to corrupt it. And through our economic and military fingers, which extend all over the planet with foreign aid and, and everything else, that uh, we like to dictate to the others, governments, what they can and cannot say. And oftentimes they're all too willing to accept it because 
you know, if I can get a few billion dollars in my bank account, then what do I care about uh, who comes and visits from other worlds? Mm-hmm. And that's type of that's the type of mentality that evades a lot of the places on this world. And so, uh, from from a high concentration of sightings and landings in the United States, that moved off into Europe and into Russia, into mm-hmm. South America and other places, simply because they found a uh, mentality that was more receptive. I mean, it's like if if I go over and visit my neighbor and he throws stones and sticks and shoots at me, I'm not going to go over there and visit much more versus the other neighbor that says, come on over and let's barbecue in the backyard. And mm-hmm. so consequently, uh, they go where they feel that they have a receptive uh, audience and people who are willing to listen and to learn. I mean, that's only normal. I would do exactly the same thing. And so... Um, you know, uh, for every one of those stories that you've heard from South America, I've heard others that had absolutely nothing to do with that. I hear that now because I hear that oftentimes the story gets corrupted. For instance, the Russians said that when they released that landing story in 89, uh, that the people came out of the ship and walked through the town and everybody in the town uh, knew them, saw them, were not afraid. But by that time that story got to the Western European uh, media, they had now corrupted the story into them being, you know, 10 feet tall and and, and looking different. And by the time it got into the uh, United States media, then they were 10 feet tall with multiple appendages and multiple eyes. And he, the Soviet scientist, uh, Russian scientist said, see, uh, you think you have a free press, but you have anything but that. Mm-hmm. And you think also, you know, we're all equipped with cell phones now. Everybody's got a cell phone. And you think at some point somebody would be able to snap a decent photo. Well, there are decent photos. I mean, I mean, uh, how much more decent can you? I mean, I've got a whole litany and library of, of, of these crafts photographed all over the world, uh, already photographed back in Europe as far as 1918. And then, of course, you have the medieval paintings with them and what have you. And so uh, there are, <laughs> oh, my God, I, can, I could uh, open up a file and show you so many good, clear photos. And, but you run across the same kind of uh, uh, skeptical or negative uh, commentary because that's what they said about George. They said, mm-hmm. oh, well, his, his, his pictures are too fuzzy. And then when he produced pictures that were spot on, they said, oh, they're too clear to be real. You can never satisfy uh, those who wish to be, um, you know, uh, negative against this subject to begin with. But I'll tell you that when my my parents went by invitation before the 22 scientists at NASA Goddard in 66, Uh and also by invitation to Colonel Freeman thereafter, three months thereafter, these people did not have anything to do with creature features. They, they were not stupid. And they knew mm-hmm. how these craft looked, where they came from, the type of people that were inside of them, and the technology. One of the scientists asked my father, he said, how many people from other worlds do you think are uh, um, walking amongst us at any given time? And so my father said, at this particular time, he wrote down a number. The scientists wrote down his number, they exchanged papers, and they basically had the same number. So they knew that they were human beings walking amongst us, learning and interacting and uh, giving us positive feed and input. They are not here to solve our problems. 
They are here, or rather, they're not here to fix our problems. They're here to help us make the right decisions so we fix them. Because the trouble is they know we're like children. If we do everything for a child, they will never learn how to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, what did you think of the congressional hearings? It's nothing but a playover. Anybody who does any research in this subject knows in the late 50s, NICAP, which was an organization established by uh, Major Kehoe, who wrote five excellent books on this subject in the 1950s, and uh, was a very vocal uh, progressive uh, proponent of this, uh, along with Colonel Freeman, who was part of that, and uh, Admiral Hillencotter, who was the first CIA director, they collected 12,000 reports. They submitted Uh it to Congress. Uh, Speaker McCormick asked for it, Gerald Ford, um, uh, the fellow in Arizona, uh, the senator as well. And uh, that information was all given to Congress. When Congress turned around and went directly to the Air Force, the Air Force said the CIA took that over in the 50s. So the CIA said to them, to their faces, you have no right to know. And so by 1968, when the congressional hearings were held, and uh, Professor McDonald and all these people came forward to urge Congress to move forward, it was totally shut down. This Uh is not any different than what happens now. It is a repeat and a replay of it 50 years later because they know that most of the people who are around then may not be around now, and the Uh newer generations are addicted to the Internet, and they won't look deeper than the peripheral that is given to them. And so... But all of this played out to exactly the same uh, methods and conclusions already in 1960. So they weren't ready to do it then. What makes you think that they're ready to make any difference now? And right. to, to think that you can, uh, like this one particular gentleman who put that together in the 90s, he thought that you know by getting renowned names and academics and degrees and military uh, 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 stature, this was going to force the issue. Not a chance. Not a chance. Because not even the president has read into this. Mm-hmm. The last president to have any type of uh, uh, disclosure to this was uh, Jimmy Carter, because he himself had reported uh, seeing one of this craft while he was an officer in the military. And so... None of them, they all got smaller and smaller access until now, as far as I I know, that um, uh, 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 George Bush Sr., of course, being CIA director, Uh uh, uh, you know, uh, also uh, he had a little bit more knowledge. But I would say since the time of uh, Bill Clinton, no. No, they just they just are given a standardized form letter. And here you go. This is what you get. And they can't. You think the president can walk into the Pentagon or any place and get whatever he wants? Not a Uh chance. Not a Uh chance. Here's a question from the chat room. Can you please ask the guest why George Adamski was offered to see the United Nations? And what did he do and why did he qualify for it? Well, I think that um, since George Adamski had circulated uh, all over the world to many official organizations, giving them information, and in some cases, as I said, with uh, President Eisenhower and Kennedy giving them access, direct access to contact and interaction, that uh, Uthant was uh, uh, very much uh, briefed into some of this. And Mm -hmm. he thought that um, this was probably one of the most important issues that, um, that was before 
the people of this planet. And in 67, he even said so. The article is in the book where it's uh, headlined in there. And so uh, George often talked to officials on the down low, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so because to him, it was not important being recognized, you know, here I am, George Adamski, and here I come and you better give me trumpets and fanfare. In fact, in most cases, he was very much doing so in a, um, uh, I wouldn't like the word to use secretive, but a much more mm-hmm. uh, uh, private atmosphere. And Uthant knew him and knew of him and his materials. And so when he was in New York in January of 65, Uthan offered him the seat. And like I said, George declined it uh, for several reasons. But the one he said specifically was that he was not going to accept an official position, an official title, because once you do that, you will be told what you can and can't say. And he said concerning this subject is way too important to let any organization, government or agency corrupt it. What do you think is the biggest uh, lie that we've been fed? <laughs> you mean only one? <laughs> I mean, because one leads to the next and leads to the next. And so basically it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the biggest, well, they're tandem. The first lie is that they don't exist. That, mm-hmm. that we tell people that there is not intelligence beyond this planet certainly not in the solar system. And they try to tell you that it's uh, in other systems, light years, closest one, and I believe is Alpha Centauri, which is four light years away, and mm-hmm. Wolf 359 and a few others, but they're all within the 12 light year spectrum. Um, so the greatest uh, lie is that uh, there is not intelligence and there is not a standardization of uh, evolution uh, beyond this planet. And the second one is that if there is, they see they cover their bets. If by chance they are not uh, revealing uh, the truth in that, if there is, then it will be aggressive and threatening in nature. Those are the two lies combined into one, which makes this entire subject the um, the uh, sorry state of affairs that it has become. Where do you suggest that people, like you just talked about, how in the internet age, nobody really wants to go beyond you know, their click, essentially, for information. Where, where do you think pe- people should be doing the research on this stuff? Well, I think that if people want to get a good foundation of information, they should uh, go back to the uh, era of the 50s when there was much more uh, openness stated on the subject simply because the technology was not quite the same as far as suppression ability. So if you look, like for instance, Frank Edwards, who wrote a very great book called Flying Saucers and Serious, uh, a Serious Business, uh, he was part of the radio network uh, over the United States. And due to his uh, endorsement of the UFO subject, because he, in, he um, uh, interacted with people like Wilbert Smith, the uh, Canadian scientist and head, uh, head of Project Magnet, and things like that, he lost his job and he lost access to the, uh, to the airwaves because of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they did the same, they tried the same thing with Major Kehoe. And so when you go back, I suggest you look at books, uh, like uh, the book from Frank Scully from 1950, uh, that describes uh, some of the uh, 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 crash 
circumstances behind Roswell and other ones in that area. And um, and you look at Frank Edwards' material, uh, the Kehoe, of course, the Damsky. Um, uh, you know, there uh, there are some very good uh, books on that. Oh. I think anybody who reads between those authors and looks at their references can also find also where they came, got information from. And uh, I included all those references in my latest book. There must be six right. pages of references so people can easily identify, uh, you know, those authors, time frames, and materials. And so consequently, I tried to make it easy on the researchers because, like, I, like you mentioned, uh, current research uh, or interested parties are not going to go so deep. When you type UFOs into the computer, my God, the litany of stuff that you get is uh, very difficult for anybody who has no experience in the field to try to make heads or tails from it. Absolutely. You know, this has been a great hour. It's blown by. I thank you for the book. The book is terrific, guys. If, if, you, know, if you want really good reading, get read his latest book. Fantastic book. It's Todd. called, uh, it's yes. called uh, The UFO Reality, yes. Can Truth Prevail? Yep. And it's available on eBay or from directly from the publisher, which is blurb, B-L-U-R-B dot com. Yep. Or you'll find it on my uh, website, adamskifoundation.com. The links are on there as well. Like I said, thank you so much for the book. I really, in fact, I'm going to reread it. I liked it so much. Well, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for the show and uh, and your listeners for spending a little time with me. And I would like, well, you did. You answered my question. I would like to have you on again sometime. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, what's next for you? Uh, well, um, you know, I right now I'm doing some uh, some of these shows like yours and the one that you uh, listened to previously and uh, and I'm uh, working on developing some of the videos I have uh, on YouTube I have a large selection of videos that uh, I you know if people want to look at the Adamski films the original oh. pictures and films they'll find them there they'll find some of the lectures all, all kinds of information on on my YouTube channel and um, I suggest anybody who wants a uh, good substantial evidence go there because it's right in front of you and uh, so I do uh, I work on that uh, in this country there is not so much any uh, desire uh, to have me speak they have they have already since 2014 they realize that when I lecture I I talk straightforward I don't cut any corners uh, I'm not accusatory but at the same time I don't go for the BS and so and I think that a lot of these uh, conventions are made to milk the public uh-huh. out of an extraordinary amount of money for the same repetitious um, information. That's the word I'll use that um, that, uh, you know, is not worth the value. And I told them that at one time I was speaking for two hours and then they keep t- cutting the lecturers time down. And then they tell the people, well, now you can buy a a uh, interactive interactive uh, time or workshop with the speaker so you can ask questions. Now, I, I absolutely was against that. Asking questions is part of the live transition between right. the active audience. That's their right and my right to talk to them and to uh, express ourselves. And I didn't like this exploitation. So I said so. And many places uh, are very happy with me because of that. So I lectured overseas uh, between 2018 and 19. I was in Stockholm and uh, Copenhagen and Rome several times, Milan, 
So I found that overseas interests tend to be more, um, I would say, non-biased or, or more open to information. Uh, Italy is right now a very open area. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what I do. I go as demand. Fantastic. Once again, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to contacting you again and get you back on. Thank you, Charlotte. Okay, you have a great rest of your evening, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Loved it. Loved every second of it. Get the book. I'll, I'll uh, get you the link for the books, and I'll tell you, he's got three books out, so I'll have a listing for that as well. Uh, just a quick update for my my paranormal investigation team. If you haven't seen the notice I put out on the team page on Facebook, we do have a residential prelim on Saturday at 3 p.m. Uh, to cover, so I need at least two more people to go with me on that. So if you're up, so if you're up for it, let me know and we can get that going. Uh, again, the prelim is in Sacramento. All right, guys. Well, uh, I've also got a psychic development class, uh, psychic development class one that I'll be teaching on on uh, March 10th, and that will be a 3 p.m. Pacific class for people on the make it more convenient for people on the east coast you can check that out at the california haunts uh, meetup site at, at meetup.com california haunts you know, google that or california haunts paranormal investigation team meetup it will get you there just as fast so anyway i want to thank everybody for coming tonight i really appreciate it uh, we had a very active chat room which was really cool and again i, I will leave you with his information and uh, uh yeah check out his books and stuff they're really really good and they're easy reads i can tell you that all right, so here we go. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hear the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're always <laughs> looking at equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio, just trying to get the word out about our little show. Again, thank you guys for coming, and here is his contact information. So website is adamskifoundation.com. Adamskifoundation.com. And the books, Behind the Flying Saucer Mystery 2, UFO Reality, Will Truth Prevail? And Who Discovered the Alien Bases on the Moon? Or We Discovered the Alien Bases on the Moon. My bad. And again, you can get that at his website. Or eBay, as he says. Okay, guys, I'll see you tomorrow. My guest will be Ron Fuller. Ron Fuller is the general. I'm sorry, Ron. Sorry, I'm losing my mind. Ron Felber. Oops. Um, I can't even read my own writing. Ron Felber is the gentleman who wrote, who wrote uh, the, the uh, book about the uh, abduction in the Mojave. Uh, terrifying alien abduction book. Fascinating book. Scary as hell. However, he's got a new book that's coming out, and his new book has a combination of ghost story, um, de- demonic possession, and all kinds of things. And the book won't be out until mid-March, but uh, he wants to come on and talk about that book. The cool thing about this book is Mr. Is Mr. Felber got the idea from William F. F. Batty. Why can't I talk right tonight? What is going on? William F. Batty. William F. Batty is the gentleman who wrote The Exorcist. He's also the gentleman... That brought everybody jaws. All right. So this book that he's that that, that Ron is writing is, is is based on a true story. So it should be interesting to see what he has to say about that, and then we'll do a follow up after that on the book as well. But uh, Ron Felber will be the guest tomorrow, six thirty p.m. Pacific. I'll see you right here. Have a great evening, you guys, and hopefully by then I can talk. I don't know what's going on. Bye. <laughs>